so that you know where we're going, when I was preparing this service, it seemed to me that the, um, the sermon split itself very naturally into four very unequal parts, but uh, each one seemed to have a hymn that brought home, that hopefully brought home the message. And so it's, uh, perhaps it's as well on a, a warm day to have it cut into bite-sized pieces, as it were. My apologies for this first illustration, which I know I've used with the ladies at the Ladies' Fellowship before, but uh, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as the unwrapped gift. And I can't have a better illustration of that, really, than the day that my husband brought home a present for me that was going to transform my life. At least it was going to transform our culinary life, the things we ate. It was a mixer a food blender. Now, remember this was 45, almost 45 years ago, so it wasn't anything like you can get nowadays. It was probably considered very old, would be considered very old-fashioned now, but it was very modern then. And he bought it home with a booklet on all the things I could do with this food mixer. And I thanked him. I remember thanking him. And I put it on the kitchen shelf and promised to use it. But I never did. Because everything that I could do in the mixer. I seemed to be able to do so much more quicker in the old-fashioned way, you know, with the spoon beating up and all the rest of it. And every time I thought about it, I never really had the time to get the book of instructions out and read it, find out what I was meant to be doing. And so it stayed on the ledge. And he used to come in and say, oh, haven't you used your mixer yet? And I'd say, no, no, but I'm going to. And then after a little while, because I'm a deceitful person, I put it in a cupboard underneath in the kitchen so that he didn't keep being reminded of the present that I hadn't used. And when we moved to Ipswich, 37-odd years ago now, we moved to Ipswich and it went up in the loft. And there it stayed until a friend mentioned how much she'd like a mixer. And I said, I've got one just for you, brand new. Got it down, gave it to her. End of story. But, um, you know, it seems to me that perhaps the gift that we're celebrating today is a little bit like that mixer. It's a gift that we've received. It's a gift that we know, if only we'd let it, could transform our lives. But we haven't really unwrapped it. We know we've got it. We've received it gratefully from our Lord. But we haven't begun to use it. Perhaps we've been too busy struggling to be a Christian in a difficult, materialistic world. Leslie Weatherhead describes um, the, this as being in a rowing boat on a rough sea and struggling hard against the waves without realising that underneath the seat on which we're sitting is an outboard motor that could make our journey over the waves so much easier. Perhaps we're afraid to unwrap it, Wind and fire marked the first coming of the Spirit in Acts, strong, powerful, consuming symbols of change. And I think that most of us, not just those who are getting a bit older, but most of us are really afraid of change. We get so comfortable, don't we, with our way of thinking, doing, behaving, worshipping. Change is difficult. It's frightening and threatening. Maybe if we begin to unwrap this gift, we'll have to face change, and we don't really want to do that.
Now, I know that I used to feel a bit like that. And I know I've shared this story in a house group, so apologies to my house group for share, hearing it again. But it was such a, such a revelation to me, this experience that I had at DIS. Mm, mustn't touch it, sorry. This experience, I went to DIS and it was a, Anne Watson was speaking, and she's the wife of David Watson. It was after he died. And she was talking about the three waves of the spirit. And I can remember going, and I found that day the most terrifying day of my life. It was just unbelievable. She said, if we felt our palms tingling, then it meant that the Holy Spirit was near. And straight away, I sat on my hands. And then she'd pray that the first wave would come and the second wave would come. And when the third wave was about to come, I can remember racing out to the toilet and staying there until I thought it had gone. I was absolutely terrified. I saw things there, people falling about, making weird noises. Oh, it was awful, absolutely awful. And I came home absolutely exhausted. And I sat down by the fire, and it was one of those evenings, it was a November evening, I can remember even the date, it was so vivid in my mind, although it was a long while ago now. And my husband had lit a fire, and he'd taken the boys out to one of their boys' things that they used to do in the evenings when they were younger. And so I was sitting by the fire, and I was relaxing. And I know I wasn't asleep. But while I was sitting there, I felt as though God... I, well, no, I didn't know it was God. I just felt as though I was being wrapped in a blanket of love. I just felt surrounded by love, a bit like the hug I was talking to the children about. And I didn't actually hear a voice except in my head that said, Christine, this is what you've been running away from all day. And I realized that it was God coming to me in a way that he could reach me. He couldn't possibly have reached me at that day at this. I was absolutely resisting him at every point. But relaxed, he was able to touch me and reassure me of his love through the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, God made us. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to redeem us. He knows us intimately. He knows our nature, our personalities. And he will never, never force his love on us. But he wants, he longs that each of his children should receive the gift of his spirit that assures us of his love. And he wants us to unwrap it so that we can grow into him and share him with a needy world. Can I just read to you where Jesus, before he, went, before he died, spoke to his disciples about the Spirit? It's in John chapter 14 and verses 15 to 26, where Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 
On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This morning, I I want us to unwrap just three layers. There are so many more. And all the layers are based on a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples and therefore gives to us. And the first promise of Jesus is this, you will experience my inward presence. Did you notice what Jesus said to his disciples? On that day, the day of Pentecost, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, the vital thing that happened at Pentecost is that the Spirit of Jesus came to abide in the hearts of men in the power of God. And that's the difference Pentecost made. You know that he abides with you and shall be in you. It's the difference between with, and that's what the disciples had experienced for three wonderful years, to in. Through the indwelling presence, Pentecost makes us one with Christ, just as the Father is one with the Son. You, I in you, and you in me. The very essence of the Christian religion is in the realized presence of God in the soul. And this means that the Spirit isn't something that works externally, helping us from the outside. It's something at work within the very citadel of our being. There's no simple addition of divine power to human power in the life of the Christian. The Spirit of God identifies himself with the human me into which it enters and whose life it becomes And the result is Galatians 2 verse 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Do you see, the spirit becomes life of our life, soul of our soul. Pentecost is God dwelling this time not with men, but in men. And it's that hymn we've just sang, clothing himself with those lives that are surrendered to him, And through these ordinary people whose lives he clothes, he is able to do extraordinary things through their abiding surrender, their implicit obedience, and their simple faith. You know, I'm absolutely thrilled by this every time I give myself time to let God reveal it to my mind afresh. Because the Christian religion isn't a set of doctrines about Christ. It's not a set of rules based upon the life and example of Christ. It's not even an earnest and sincere endeavor to live according to the mind and spirit of Christ. Christianity is life. And that life is the life of Christ. It's the life of Christ in his body, which is the church. 
and in the believing soul. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. Not a system, but a presence. The Spirit of Christ indwelling the Spirit of man. Jesus promised his disciples that they would be baptized with the Spirit. I I came late into the Baptist church, so I was a Christian for many years before I was baptized, but I just love the scriptural and visual truth of believers' baptism. The person baptized comes out drenched, soaked to the skin. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells the believers literally to be filled with the Spirit day by day, and the verb implies that continual filling. Every area of the life of the Christian believer is to be drenched, deluged, soaked to the skin in the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit possesses every part of us. And if you read on in Ephesians 5, you see how Paul goes on to show how being possessed wholly by the Holy Spirit will affect our marriages, our family relationships, our working relationships, not just our prayer life and our worship. If we think of the Holy Spirit of God as our possession, we're still in control. We're still holding the reins. The question to ask is not how much of the Holy Spirit of God do I have, but how much does he have of me? And that brings us to the next hymn, which is a prayer. It's a prayer that asks that God will take every part of us, drenching every part of us with that Holy Spirit. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. For our next wrapping, we turn to uh, John again, chapter 16 this time, in verses 12 to 15, where Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the first wrapping is you will know my inward presence. The second is this, you will know the truth. How wonderfully we see these words of Jesus fulfilled at Pentecost because we see Peter, an unlearned fisherman, blunt, impatient, and oh so human, standing up in front of the same crowd that had cried for Jesus' death and preaching with power, eloquence, and insight, a sermon that brought 3,000 people into the kingdom. Incredible. Jesus had said that the coming of the Spirit would bring fullness of knowledge. In that day, you shall know, he said. There was so much they hadn't understood, so much they'd misunderstood. So often their questions and comments in the gospel show that they just hadn't grasped it at all. But now it all fell into place. Prophecy shone with new meaning and the facts of Christ's death and resurrection 
was seen in the light of God's eternal purpose. They had a knowledge that did not depend on intellectual capacity or spiritual training or even experience. Their knowledge came from the Spirit who knows the deep things of God. You know, that's what happens to us too. We can turn to God's word and we can find the truths there. Truths that perhaps we've read many times. But it takes the Holy Spirit of God to apply them to our hearts, to our minds, to our spirits. It's whenever we turn to God's word, we need to ask for that guidance of the Spirit, his guidance to lead us into all the truth. And when we pray that prayer in faith, he does it. He reassures us that we are his children, beloved by him. We're assured of his forgiveness. We're assured that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we can live lives worthy of the king, not by our own achieving, but by his grace, by his power at work within. I know that for me as a young Christian and as a much older Christian, I really struggled to know if I was really a Christian, if I'd really done it right. I don't know if any of you have had that problem. I know that for many years I struggled with this. Every time I went to a service where they, they asked people to come forward to commit their lives, I'd sit there and i think, have I done it? Have I really done it? Am I really a Christian? My life doesn't seem much difference. Perhaps I'm not. Perhaps I've got to do it differently. And one of the things that I got, it took me a long time to learn was that God can give us this assurance. He can give us the assurance that he has taken us. He has accepted us as his child and that he will make a difference. For some of us, it will be slower than with others, but he will make a difference. He will change us into the people that he wants us to be. All of us are works in progress. And it took me a long time to move from doubting to faith. But when I did, I knew that incredible freedom that comes from taking God as his word and allowing his Holy Spirit to speak to me from his word of all the promises that were my inheritance in him. We don't understand how God does it. None of us do. And the next hymn that we're going to sing is one that speaks about God's grace because it's all of grace. It's none of us. It's all due to God's grace. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known, but it has. And we rejoice in that fact. And the spirit of truth who will make the truths about God real to our lives, by his grace will reveal it to us. So we sing again, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known. And the final wrapping is found in, verse, in chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Acts and verse 8. 
where Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the three points, you will be know my inward presence, you will know the truth, and then the challenge. You will be my witnesses. Thanks to Julie and all her encouragement in evangelism and the series on telling your sto- our story here at Burlington, we are really working at witnessing to the difference that Christ makes in our lives. But we do find it difficult, don't we? We get a, we've got deep-rooted fears, I think, about talking to friends and neighbours about Jesus. And fear so often holds us back. We know that Jesus commands us to witness. We know that the good news is too good to keep to ourselves. We know that if we don't tell others, they'll be eternally lost. But so often we just funk it and hope our life will speak when our tongue stays silent. You will receive power, said Jesus, power to be my witnesses when you are clothed with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit was given for a purpose, and the purpose is to enable us to witness to his kingdom of love. Sharing the love that we've received should be the most natural and joyful thing in our lives. I think Timothy might have felt just as we often feel about witnessing When Paul wrote to him, he reminded him first of all about the gift of the Holy Spirit which he'd received when he believed. And then he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, you did not receive a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. You see, and the Greek word translated timidity is deilia, which means More than being afraid, it means a timid cowardice, an apprehensive funk, a failure of nerve, a tendency to withdraw from conflict. That's me. Perhaps it's you too. But it's not the spirit which belongs to our new life in Christ. Pentecost means that we share Christ's passion that led him to the anguish of Gethsemane and the agony of the cross. Perhaps we need to make the words of the next hymn our prayer this morning. In fact, we'll sing it sitting down. O thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. I'm just conscious that there may be someone here this morning who longs to experience what the disciples experienced on the first Whit Sunday. Maybe those of us who've been Christians for many years have a longing to know the presence of the indwelling Christ as a deeper reality. Maybe there are those who need to know, who long to know with deeper certainty that they are the Lord's. Probably all of us need to be clothed afresh with the Holy Spirit's power to enable us to witness more faithfully to him who is our love, our life. 
Peter said to those who were convicted by the Spirit at Pentecost, repent and be baptized. You know, there's repentance of believers as well as of sinners. And when we pray for the blessing of Pentecost, the answer begins in conviction of sins. Things not surrendered, disobedience to the inward voice. We have to open every part, every area of our lives to God. Open the person that we really are, not the person we like others to see us to be. So, the first step is repent. The second step is to ask. Luke says, you have not because you ask not, but beware. We must ask for the giver, not his gifts. We must ask for Christ, only Christ. He must be the supreme desire of our hearts. And the third step is to receive. Receive the Holy Spirit, said the risen Christ to his disciples in the upper room. Faith claims and takes. We take God at his word. And the fourth step is a continuous life of obedience. If you love me, said Jesus, you will obey. Love and obedience always linked. In Acts 5 and verse 32, the Holy Spirit, whom God has given, notice, to those who obey him. The Spirit-filled is always the Spirit-ruled. The gift of Pentecost is for everyone, and the conditions are the same for all. Repent, ask, receive, obey. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the gift of your spirit is not just for special people, but for us all. In the quietness, Lord, we ask that you will speak to each heart by your spirit convicting us of those things in our lives that are hindering our closer, the closer relationship we long for and which you desperately desire. Bring us to that place of true repentance for those things in our lives that are paining our Father's loving heart. We confess to you our hesitancy in witnessing to your love. Forgive us for our spirit of timidity, our fears, our embarrassment, our excuses. Lead us by your spirit to witness to our faith in a living Saviour. May what we do do build up the fellowship of his church. May how we live speak of his word to the world. May what we say testify to our life in him, so that as we know and love him more, others may come to know and love him too. Father, we are weak, but you are strong. We have no words but you sent your Son, who is the Word, made flesh. We have no love, but you sent your Son, who pours your love into our hearts. Oh, Father, come drench us afresh this morning with your life-giving Spirit and use us day by day in compassion and boldness 
to tell others about Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.